0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Welcome back to the program. It is hour two. It is Wednesday. That means our good friend Greg Wyshynski from ESPN is here for some MVSW time. Hello, Greg.
0: That's a jaunty little tune you're playing there. I like it. It it reminds you of the kind of music we used to play on the old MVSW
1: show. Once upon a time, I know, back in the good old days when hockey podcasts were new and fresh. And now everybody has a <laughs> podcast.
0: <laughs> Some of us have have video podcasts now, uh, as we do uh, the drop every week on Some the move. NHL and ESPN YouTube. I've often I, I used to tell everybody that the moment you catch me trying to, you know, Steve dangle it up and do a video podcast, you should just put, put me out the pasture. But I have to tell you that I very much enjoyed the process of writing and creating for uh, the visual medium. I told Arda, Ocal, my my co host, that like. If we tried to yeah. do another podcast, that we'd be, like, what, the 400th to the market? And, um, yeah, you know, we don't, yeah, we don't have the gimmick of having an ex-player on the show. We don't have the gimmick of, like, having Elliot give, you know, news or whatever. And we can't curse. So I said, well, let's just do something different. Because hmm. like, the podcast will just be redundant if we do another podcast.
1: Um, you remember on the old pod when we used to say, hey, you know, we encourage everybody to start blogs and start podcasts? Uh, it sounds like and it feels like everybody who listened kind of did, uh, <laughs> which is a great thing. It's just tough to sort of rise above the din uh, at uh, at this point. By the way, Howie, Arda, Arda is one of my favorite people. And I mean, outside of being a great broadcaster, uh, I, I love Arda. Arda, and he's got a fascinating story. I mean, much like, you know, you and me sort of transitioned in a lot of ways from, although you were kind of in both worlds at the same time, uh, pro wrestling uh, and hockey, <laughs> um, and he's Canadian and we love him for that. Um, I love him. How's the drop doing? It's
0: doing well. We, our first uh, episode uh, hit last week. We had, um, uh, we had, uh, who did we have on? Um, Oh, Gabe Landis-Cog came on. And then this week, it looks like Robin Yossi is going to join us. And, um, you know, it's just a fun show. Like, it's a good hockey chat. We do a little roundtable with some reporters every week. Uh, some yeah. some chuckles. Obviously going to have our our time talking Phil Kessel this week. Um, it's, just, it's, it's just a good show. And, and the coolest part about it is that, like, as you know, working – as we also – you and I both work for a giant uh, conglomerates now um, – Whenever mm-hmm. they give you a little bit of, of, of the pie to sprinkle your own toppings on, <laughs> it, you don't take it for granted. And, and so Arda and I getting this show, um, which started on ESPN+, Plus and, and now we get to do it weekly on the YouTube channel, is, uh, is great. Because as I was talking to an executive friend of mine last night at the Rangers game, uh no one's gonna bother you there <laughs> so that's the best that i am at my happiest <laughs> as a professional when somebody in power says don't worry no one's going to bother you there because that means that all the weird little inklings that me and arda get are going to end up on this show
1: i remember talking to someone uh about that very thing when you and i used to do the podcast here when was uh, a co-venture between sportsnet and yahoo and it was pretty out there sometimes. I mean, there was you know tons of of talk that you wouldn't expect on uh, well, certainly on a on a on a sportsnet-owned property. I remember talking to someone in the league and they said to me like how do you get away with that stuff and i'm like well no one's listening like they're they're concerned <laughs> like they're they're, they're they're concerned about you know well like darren doug and nick are doing and that's fine that's where their attention's going to go and me and greg have this little like digital playpen that we kind of group right. around in this little this and- little sandbox that we go in and it was the best thing for us hands down for sure the
0: tangents and everything and i and i you know sometimes i, I get a chance to like talk to up-and-coming journalists or go back to Maryland and speak to journalism classes, and I always tell them that, look, you know, you have your aspirations. You want to do what you want to do. You want to make some money. You want to write good, good articles. You want to be a great journalist. I get it. What you should be striving for is autonomy. What you should be striving for is what I had when I worked at the newspaper, and I really worked really hard to get it. Same thing at Yahoo, and, and now in, in some ways at ESPN, is a chance to just kind of, like, create and make things and not have the heat coming down at you at all times and not have them micromanaging you because they're not worried about you. They trust you. They trust that you're going to be okay to do some some things and take some chances. And, and and like, honestly, like if you're a writer out there and you're just getting started in in media work for that, like work for that moment where you're allowed to just kind of like do some things on your own and, and create some things and not have to worry about, getting it signed off or or having to have someone breathing down your neck. It really is the most freeing thing you could possibly imagine professionally.
1: Uh, or if you find yourself in a situation, and I think most people in the 70s kind of did, when they found their employer or their manager saying... I don't know, just put it out there, maybe the kids will like it. Like there'll be a lot of duds, <laughs> but how great how great was like everything in the 70s. When you look at like diversity of thought and visual and sound and ideas and comedy and all of it. Like I know you always think everyone always thinks that you know the the, the arts and sports when they were a kid is the best, but I really believe it. Like, the 70s was the best, man, for all of it, Greg. For hockey, you had, you know, the WHA, for for music. I mean, turn on the radio. You had such a divergence of sound to say nothing. I mean, I know you're a big movie guy. Look at the, you know, look at the, uh, the American to say nothing of European and Asian cinema in the 70s. It was remarkable. And then focus groups came along and killed all of
0: it. Well, focus groups came along and killed all of it, but so did capitalism. I mean, you know, what, what was the sequel of the 1970s? It was The Godfather Part Two, which is upheld as one of the greatest movies in the history of mankind. Yes. And then when the 80s hit, that's when you got The Empire Strikes Back. You got Jaws 2. You got all the Superman movies. Now we're transitioning into, like, big-budget superhero stuff. Like, the, the, the priorities changed as well. Um, And 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 it's a direct through line to what we have today where the the constant lament from people is that nobody makes anything for adults anymore and nobody makes anything that's outside of franchises anymore. And, yes, listen, I understand irony that an employee of the Disney Corporation is the one making this point. I completely get it. But it's also a point to be made.
1: (laughs) Um, I want to talk to you about MSG last night, and uh, I want to get to Phil Kessel because, listen, you've written tons, uh, and I love hearing you talk about Phil, and I've got my own points on Kessel as well. Uh, But let me ask you about that Rangers game. And one thing that, you know, coming away from the game yesterday, and it's a big return, Ghergiev wins the game, and good on Colorado, and the big smile on Ghergiev and the the whole deal. Um, End of the three-on-three, Nathan McKinnon is still in the box. First shooter for Colorado is Nathan McKinnon yeah. even though there's still time on the penalty. Now, that's fine. That's how we're choosing to do things in North America. Elliot was on earlier making the point that in the double IHF he would not be allowed to shoot. Um, and that's just a difference of, of, of how they treat it. Um, I know we all have our list of grievances and things we'd like changed in the NHL. I've got my own ideas around the penalty kill specifically. But on your list of, like, things to get upset about, where is that? That Nathan McKinnon was technically still in a penalty situation when the shootout began. So, it's on there. Because a- as I was watching the end of the
0: three-on-three, um, there was a moment where the Rangers, I think, were carrying the puck into the avalanche zone. And I was looking at the avalanche defender. I, I-, I remember having this thought last night in the press box. And I was thinking to myself, you can, you can just murder this guy. Like, you could just, like, tackle him like, and not worry about it. Like, you're already shorthanded. There's, there's ticks of seconds left in the game. You know that if you're in yeah. the box when you get to the shootout, you're going to be out of the box for the shootout. So in the last 10 mm-hmm. seconds of an overtime, it should be Thunderdome. <laughs> like, it should just be – just, just, you're just crippling people. <laughs> like I mean, like, why not? It's, it has no implications – Outside of you know, if yeah. you get a game misconduct, obviously is, there's a huge implication. But anything else, you're going to be eligible yeah. for the shootout. But listen, you it's asked me about watching. my list. It, th- be- way to
1: way to way to think. Yeah, is, is, Sorry, yeah, where is, asked, where is that on your okay, list? Where's that on your list?
0: Okay, but you asked me about list. It is behind something else that happened in the game last night, and I, and I think I know you, you know that? where I'm going with this, which is the phantom high sticking penalty on Alexis Lafreniere where the video review clearly showed it was a friendly fire situation where one um, avalanche player's stick hit the other guy in the head. They called it a Lafreniere, yeah. and then the referees go over and they look at the, the iPad, and they start looking at it. And everyone's like, well, wait, what are you looking at? It's, it's Unless it's a double minor or a major, this isn't eligible to be overturned, even though it is clear as day. That a ranger stick did to not touch an avalanche player's face, and so they 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 waste like five minutes looking at it, and they have to go over to Gerard Ger- Ger- Gallant and I guess say, "Oh hey, we just realized we can't review this." I was talking to a GM last night, and I said to him, "I said, do you think we're going to maybe have a conversation with this? You know, you know, Merrick." It's always that yeah. one example that happens that sets things in motion, you know, whether it was the a broken leg on, a, on an Shane. icing call that led to no touch. Yeah, Matt Duchesne, right. So is this a big enough spot, national television, two marquee teams, where you make the logical, I think, case – that minor penalties can be – minor high-sticking penalties can be reviewed to see if it was a teammate on teammate infraction like you can for double minors, like you can for majors. And he said, yeah, I think we're going to have a conversation. And I hope they do because it is such a logical rule change to be able to review Mm -hmm. something like that when it's clear as day because at the end of the day, you know what it does? It makes the NHL look stupid if they end up upholding the penalty when they have the technology to go back and, and admit that they got the call wrong
1: is that your biggest one like if you could change i think we've all played the if you could change one thing in the nhl or if you could introduce one new rule in the nhl what would it be like to me it's the uh it's it's the penalty kill rule and if uh, if i haven't told you about this one it's if you uh if you score a shorthanded goal your player comes out of the box you've actually killed the penalty because right now we don't kill penalties we endure them you just try to endure two minutes and then your guy is free he's served his time to me it's much more compelling If when you score a shorthanded goal, not only do you get a goal, but you have released your player from prison. You have essentially done what the penalty kill says it does. You have killed the penalty. It is over. Do you have a version of that one in your hip pocket that you want to see the league enact? It's interesting because a lot of mine used to be
0: centered around goal scoring, which obviously isn't the problem that it used to be, right so like when when you and I yeah. would talk about the by any means necessary goals of of kicks should be allowed and you know however the puck enters the net should be okay, like I feel like there isn't yeah, as in. much of a yeah I, I don't think there's as much of a of a need for that now because we're, we're seeing so many goals scored um but I've always i gotta be honest with you like maybe it's the fantasy hockey guy in me or the gambler in me or, or just the lover of I'm not the lover but the, the the person who appreciates how much American fans grok to big statistics but the two minute major um, that used to be the case before Montreal ruined it in the, the middle of last century by being too good on the power play like I've always wanted to bring that back I, I love I love the idea of you know Connor McDavid or Leon Drysaitel padding their goals by getting two minutes, full two minutes so you're, to score as much as they want.
1: So you're actually the complete opposite of me. But but there is a meeting in the middle. Like so, if but there's a meeting in the middle. you're you're that. How do you how do you how do you mean meeting in the middle? Because you, like, our two ideas are different sides of the
0: same coin. I feel like we're having the, the villain-hero conversation in an action movie. You and I are not so dissimilar, Jeff Merrick. Um, <laughs> if, I, if I get my full two minutes, I will then also yeah. incorporate your – if you score a shorty, the, the power plays over. I think that would be a fair thing, right?
1: Ah, so that's the handshake. Right? The, so my guy can still come out. That does, that does kill the two-minute major. So think about See, how intense un- I was that under is. The two minute, minute major you're, that you're. Eh. Okay. What?
0: Yeah, two I'm minute major. Think,
1: how intense think. is that?
0: They're they're all sniping for two minutes. are your best players or your best players. They're all trying to pile up the points. You know that whole thing. And then at the other yeah. on the other side, you have a team playing a power kill, trying desperately to score in order to make sure that they don't face the best players in the world for a full two minutes.
1: Like how great is that? Maybe we are more similar than different. Mr. <laughs> Devall, my peanut butter here, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Wyshinski, if uh, if I may call you that. Um, <laughs> let me ask you about Phil. Let me ask you about Kessel. I mean, you've written extensively and most recently as well about uh, about Phil Kessel. Uh, he's the Iron Man now. Uh, I think all of us have our our favorite Phil Kessel story. Mine is a, a Clark MacArthur story in Toronto where. Uh, one day, you know, MacArthur replaced the, um, I think it might have been on, on picture day as well, replaced the pocket square um, from Phil Kessel's uh, suit jacket and put in a Wendy's napkin with uh, the Wendy's redhead uh, girl uh, icon <laughs> peeking out of this. So it happens, playing goofs on, on each other. Um, when I say Phil Kessel, uh, a story, a thought, what comes to your mind right away?
0: Well, the, the story that I put on ESPN yesterday was uh, five essays uh, by five different people yep. from all five of his, his tour stops. And I, I thank everybody that read it. It was, I thought, a really good read and, and it seemed to do pretty well. Um, within that was the chance to hear from uh, one of my favorite people, even though. He grew up one town over from me and somehow became a Rangers fan when I'm a Devils fan. Uh, James Van Riemsdyk, uh, who, uh, of course, is yeah. now unfortunately out of the lineup for a little bit for the Flyers. And um, he told me a story about when Phil was traded to Pittsburgh, it was the Leafs' first game against the Penguins with Phil on the Penguins. So that the trade had happened. And yeah. JVR's line is lining up against Phil's for the opening draw. So just to mess with him, JVR chops them on top of the skate laces. Not, not too hard. James said it was like 50%. <laughs> and Kessel looks over at JVR and doesn't smile. And he says, James, don't forget who made you a player in this league. <laughs> 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 and, and so two things from that story as sort of a, a sidebar. One... Uh, JVR said no one in the league calls him James except for Phil Kessel, which is amazing. And two, mm-hmm. a- if you ever get the chance, JVR might do the single best Phil Kessel impression I've ever heard. Like, it's really good. Like, like if Kessel <laughs> ever wrote an audiobook, like, I'd hire JVR to read it in that voice. Like, that's how good it is.
1: I think that would be a great thing to do on television teammates doing Phil Castle impressions. He has one of the most distinct voices and the most distinct cadences in the entire NHL. I would watch that as an intermission feature impersonating <laughs> Phil. Players do their best Phil Castle impersonation. Like, I know you've got your pets and you've got some really, really good ones. Your Bobby Holik might be my favorite, but <laughs> uh, I, I would watch an entire intermission feature of players impersonating Phil Castle. I would do this, that. This, here's the thing I don't get. And,
0: and and I noticed this through the years. So Kessel's from Madison, Wisconsin, right? And yeah. I've been to Madison, and I know people from Wisconsin. Um, I can't tell if it's by birth in that part of the world or it's because he's come up through the hockey community where he picked up the Canadian A at the end of sentences. Like, most people's Phil Kessel impressions or or quotes of Phil Kessel's, like, I love playing the game, eh? You know, like, he picked up that A. And I don't know if it, I've known Americans that sort of pick up that cadence and and pick up some inflections from Canadians because, I guess, conformity to the community as they're coming through the the, the ranks. But I don't know if that's Wisconsin or conformity for Phil Kessel.
1: I'm completely unqualified to have a comment on it. I don't know where that comes from. (laughs) I've never noticed it. But now that, you, now that you mentioned it, I'm never going to stop hearing it. Love playing Kessel. the game, eh? Yeah, exactly. But the
0: thing about Kessel is this, and, and this is what was really driven home in the last couple of weeks, and thinking about him thinking about this record. Like, the journey this guy has gone on is one of the most surreal things in maybe pro sports. Like, cancer as a rookie, right, overcomes it, thank goodness. Yep. Um, yep. becomes sort of a cult icon because of, of his attitude and the way he plays, like a brilliant goal scorer and someone who, over time, as he received criticism in the media, we don't have to rehash what that criticism was, but you, know, you guys all know it, um, fans rallied around yeah. him, kind of became a cult icon. Like, what other player, what other athlete in sports has been picked last in a fantasy draft for the All-Star game and gotten shouted publicly. out by Barack Obama. Hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs>
1: yeah. Pu- hang on, publicly by a yeah. bunch of over poured hockey players, like overserved yeah. hockey players at that right. very public draft. Absolutely, oh yeah. Like he became
0: a meme before there were memes. Like the, the Ovechkin taking a picture of Phil Kessel as he sat there by himself in that chair was was a meme. And, yeah. and so, like, you think about that journey for him, and now. I mean, obviously the most surreal thing is being someone who looks like Phil Kessel uh, and becoming the NHL's all-time Iron Man. Um, I, I don't think I've met anybody who hasn't noted the irony of that. Um, is, is just a, it's just a wonderful career. It's a singular career. And I hope that he holds this record for a very long time because it's the kind of record that you want to be able to point to. And when a young fan's like, who's Phil Kessel? Boy, do you have a story to tell yeah. them about, like, like, all due respect to Keith Yandel and Doug Jarvis, like, you've got a story to tell them about Phil Kessel holding this record.
1: The, uh, you, you just gave yourself a headline there, Phil Castle, pointing the iron in irony. Like, that's, that's the story of, of Phil <laughs> Kessel. And here's the thing that, here's the thing that Elliot and I were talking about in the first hour, and it's interesting, too. Um, we always talk about records that will never be broken. Phil's going to hit 1,000. Phil's going to end up wherever Phil's going to end up. And now in the day of age, uh, uh, in the age in hockey where it's hard to play 82 games, it's hard not to get injured, it's hard if you're a superstar player, it's going to be you know, superstars that, that set these records, um, that you don't get rested for games along the way, knowing the realities of how much an 82-game season can take out of you uh, before the playoffs, Wherever Phil ends up, like whatever the number ends up being, Mm -hmm. I don't know that it ever gets touched. I I really don't know that this one ever gets touched. I mean, are are players going to play like this generation now and the next generation? Are they going to play that deep into their 30s so they even get a chance to touch Phil Kessel's record? I don't know.
0: So they they might not.
1: My instinct is no. No.
0: My instinct is no as well. And and I think that, you know, having a guy play 78 instead of 82 could make all the difference when he gets to the playoffs and stuff like that. But I think the real issue for me, Merrick, is is something that Shane Knighty brought up when I talked to him about Phil, which is that on top of being in great condition, on top of, um, you know, coming and playing through things that maybe other guys didn't play through. um, Yeah you got to be lucky. And, and Phil's a special kind of lucky. Like, like, Phil's not even... Like, Knighty talked to me about like how he almost lost an eye in practice once. So Phil's never had the practice thing that could have felled him that yeah. happens to some guys. And it's not as if he's a floater. Like, he goes to the tough areas of the ice. And to have done that for 990 games and not have suffered an injury to put you out of the lineup is remarkable. And so on top of all of the other stuff that we talk about, but usage and, and all these things, like it's also an enormous amount of luck for guys like him and Yandel.
1: Okay. You know what I think the luckiest thing is out of all of it? And I really, hmm, wondered about this jokingly. Um <laughs> How did both Yandel and Kessel not get COVID? Like, aren't you well, shocked that COVID didn't end the streak?
0: I'm, I'm, I'm moderately shocked just because of like how how many players missed time because of it. And I'm sure it was in the back of my mind when we were, you know, seeing, uh, you know, fifty guys on that COVID list on the NHL website. But at yeah. the same time, like in hindsight, I mean. Some people just didn't get it. My wife never got it, and I've had it twice. And so maybe they hmm. again. It, it just you chalk it up to luck, right? Like like maybe they've
1: just that's never. That's it. That's why. Wait, wait, gotten it when you, yeah. when you When you said Shane Shane Knighty and luck, like that's one of the first like I got you think of. Of course, like injury. Oh, I took one off the ankle. Oh, my foot's exploded. If I take it out of the boot, I'm not gonna be able to put it back in, uh, and I'm gonna be on the shelf for a while. I get, that never happened to him. And honestly, like the the luck of of being able to. You know, to, to to duck when the blade of COVID swang. And there's no there's no question of really any conversation around it other than wow that's kind of neat. The other thing that's interesting about Phil Kessel too. And I remember having a conversation. Uh, who was I talking to? This was God, this was back in when I was when I was covering wrestling. And I think there's a there's a um, there's there's a, there's a symmetry here as well. I don't know that we're going to see another player that looks like Phil Kessel. And I remember one person telling me, we're having a conversation about uh, WWE and how they're bringing in all these athletes that all look the same, right? They all had that, that WWE look. And you know the, one, the, the, look, the look that I'm talking about. And this person was saying, you know, in this, in this era, and this was right around, you know, between like 98 and 2002, he said, you know, two of the most distinct personalities and uh, and and looks that we've seen that fans really gravitated towards you know you would never see in, in, in WWE they had to happen in WCW because they would never be allowed in WWE. Uh, one is Mick Foley and the other is Juventude Guerrera. Mm. two distinctly looking athletes uh, at their time, but they would never happen in WWE because you know head of talent would take one look at them and say nope. You don't look like a pro wrestler. No one's going to buy it, except right. everybody did. One of the reasons right. why I like Phil I was making this point off the top of the show. He looks like he's ripped off of a hockey card from 1978, doesn't
0: he? <laughs> well, he looks like a pro bowler. Is that what was, I mean, is, what, is essentially what you're saying? Like versus looking like a <laughs> hockey player, but but I mean that's part of the charm, right? Like I, I think that throughout yeah. sports we have. As, as a fan uh, community, been drawn not only to the Adonises that dazzle us with their physical acumen, but to the attainable athletes. And that's why John Daly became a sensation, right? Like, that's why David Wells became a sensation, right? And that's why Phil Kessel became a sensation yeah. because, you know, for whatever reason, he, he, he looks a little bit more like us than he does them, but he does the things that they do. And that's incredible.
1: Yeah. Is he a hall of famer for you?
0: You know, someone asked me that the other day and, and I, I got to admit that I didn't really think about it until that point, but a couple cups and argue, you know, I, I'm, I'm even more upset now that we're having this conversation that he didn't win that con smite that Sid stole from him. Cause if he gets a con Smythe, now this case is <laughs> a lot more interesting. Uh, Yes, silver medal, four hundred plus goals, Iron Man record. Yep, I'd have to see where his goal scoring and point production ranks generationally with the players he's played around. Um, but it's now he's not out of the conversation. I'll, I'll tell you that. What about Depends you? Depends
1: what you think the barriers for entry are. For because I've thought about this a lot too. To me, he's right at the line. Like, to me, he is right at the line. Like, I could go, I, I could fall either way off of this fence. Um, if you think that 400 goals is a barrier to entry for the NHL, well, Phil's there. Um, you know, he never won, you know, Rocket Richard, never won Art Ross or anything like that. But to your point, probably could have won right. the Con Smythe trophy. Um, right. You know, uh, you know, has rings um, and is a very consistent goal scorer. Like, he has a almost like Mike Gartner-like consistency, you know, through his career for scoring goals. It's like, okay, just pencil him in for this number. Like, that's what, what Phil's going to hit. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. To me, he's, he's right at that line right now. Now, the thing is, I don't know that he's going to be able to do anything to really push him more over that line to get him in the hall. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. to me, he's, he's, he's fascinating because, he, to me, he's right at the line when you look and, and, and compare him generationally to other people. So I don't know. I could, I, could, I could go either way. It's like you could say, no way, Phil Kessel's not in the Hall of Fame. And I go, okay, I can see that. Or someone else can say, yeah, Phil Kessel's a Hall of Famer. And I could say, yeah, I see that too. To me, he's the ultimate fence candidate right now.
0: Okay, you think about the guys that are kind of, I think, within the same realm as him. Is he, does he have a better Hall of Fame case than Eric Stahl?
1: Uh, no, I would take Eric Stahl over Phil Kessel.
0: Does he have a better Hall of Fame case than Joe Pavelski?
1: Oh, that's a great one. <laughs> he's, he's, oh, he's 25 uh, goals in
0: back of, of oh, Pavelski. Oh, that
1: is a great one.
0: And he's a seven goals in back of Corey <sighs> Perry, who's also a guy that gets bought up a lot.
1: Yeah, Corey's going in. He's won everywhere and he's won everything. Um, I will take Kessel over Joe Pavelski. Wow, that feels weird. I you would, I've never so said you, that in my life. Wow, that was weird coming out of my mouth. So <laughs> yeah. So you I would think, well, I think you, I think I probably So would. you would take
0: you take Perry over over Kessel because of gold medals and a and a heart? Is that why?
1: Yeah. I think if I think individual awards like that, like I also look at like I just don't like longevity is one thing and I also look at peak performance and I think that if in any one season you are the best player or by Definition of the trophy, the most valuable player um, in the world for a season—that really tips the scales for you big time. But there's there's another path as a as as a as a as a peak performer, as a right. peak player.
0: But there's another path that you bought up, which is the the Mark Recchi path, which is the path that Phil's on. Like Recchi was never the best player yes. in the league at any point in his career, and and Phil wasn't the best player in the league at any point of his career. And so I think yeah. you can get there too. I don't know. The Corey Perry is always a weird one for me, man. Like, I, I, I respect that at the peak of his powers, maybe like four or five year stretch, you know, g- good luck finding another goal scorer. You know, he's like a top five goal scorer, right? But like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, and, I, and the thing about, about Perry that I find interesting is that he's kind of done the Eiserman thing, which has sort of become a different player as his career has gone on and been really good at it. And I, and I value that. Like, yeah. I value the Corey Perry that we've seen play in these wandering the wilderness years at the end of his career um, for for Dallas, Montreal, and Tampa, like I really like the player he's become
1: for Perry, you have to look at um, at international success as well, and even going back like he played on he played on maybe the greatest you know junior hockey team ever assembled, that London night squad that I think they only lost like five or six games all season, you know, destroyed Sidney Crosby's Ramuski team in the Memorial cup final. Like, and he was best player on that team. Like it's been success all the way up for Corey Perry. I know Niedermeyer is the ultimate example, but yeah, I'll put Perry right there. I'll put Perry right there. He goes in. I mean, 50, 50 in his heart year.
0: And then 50 in his heart year, and then 43, like three years later. So it was, it was a hell of a, of a run for him in that stretch.
1: I can see he was it was good hey let me uh let let let's get back on uh let's try to get some type of let's get back on some kind of track here. Let me ask you about the Vancouver Canucks <laughs> because okay, I cannot okay. it 's impossible. I tried to do it with Elliot, and he ended up sneaking one thing in about the Canucks at the end of the conversation I was like, oh, we tried to do a whole thing without talking about the Vancouver Canucks because everyone's talked so much about it, and you know they're going to play Seattle uh tomorrow and we're all trying to figure out okay, is it going to be a decision with the coach? is it going to be decisions with the players? uh how much is you know how much is everyone in Vancouver following you know which tweets Connor Bedard is liking uh these days um, <laughs> one of the points that I've been that I <laughs> that I've been trying to to get into people is it's one thing to be a bad team or an underperforming team and have cap flexibility Arizona and Chicago are the most obvious examples there it's another to be a bad team and be frozen like we made a lot about look at Vancouver—they have the perfect cap, right? They got it right to the dollar. Wow, that's amazing. Mm. I don't know that if you're if you're this Vancouver Canucks team that you should have a perfect cap. You know what I mean? Like I don't think right. you should be at the ceiling by the dollar. Um, right, and that's where the real challenge I think comes in here for Jim Rutherford.
0: Right, and and the real challenge for Jim Rutherford is is as he spelled out the other day, like. It seems like his plan is the acquisition of younger talent to surround the core that Jim Benning built, and that, like you've talked about, Rutherford has now adopted uh, and it's his core now yeah and and it and it's sort of counterintuitive to then have signed j t Miller <laughs> to that extension if if your aim is to is to try to like surround your young core with younger players, and so that becomes confusing, and then it becomes well who's decision was that and then it becomes a conversation about the very essence of why we're in this pickle which is that you get the feeling that um to circle back to the beginning of our conversation about autonomy that there are decisions that have been made here that are not being made by player personnel and that there are decisions being made by Mm -hmm. ownership that fly in the face of of some of the public comments that we've heard from player personnel and when that starts to happen it becomes a giant toxic mess And and you have different people pulling in different directions, and the only direction that you're actually going is down, because you can't have all of those people cooking in the same kitchen.
1: And I think it comes down to as well. Like I can understand ownership wanting to have a hand in decision making. I understand. I don't don't necessarily agree with it, but I I can. I I can. I don't. Hang on, hang on. These Hang on, hang on, hang on. You spend a lot of money for these things. I get it. It's really hard, especially if you think you know hockey, to sit on the sidelines, and it's a go- it's the golden rule, right? What do we always say about the golden rule? Uh, he or she who has the gold makes the rules. That's the golden rule, and I think in this situation, like I think that the idea of the Vancouver Canucks going through a rebuild, which is what. You know a large majority, I believe that fan base wants them to go through. Um, I think that's twofold one do you there's there's two questions one, do you want a rebuild? And I think overwhelmingly fans will say yes, or at least give us some type of direction the other The other question I think is, if we go through a rebuild, will you buy tickets? And if the answer is no. Then that's where ownership says, "Well, what do we do here? Because we just lost a ton of money during COVID." And I don't think we should yeah, ever lose but... sight of the fact that this is a business. I, I think I think that's like everybody. Everybody, everybody, think... Wants, everybody wants everybody wants everybody wants or everybody wants the rebuild. Until you ask them, okay, you are still going to buy tickets while we rebuild? And if the answer is no, then hmm. Two two things. I think the ticket tickets, fans, leaves fans, etc. It's overrated,
0: man. If you're, fra- if you're afraid of, of fans not coming to see your product because your product is bad and the end result of that bad product is the challenge for a Stanley Cup or to acquire Conor Bedard, who's going to make up that revenue shortfall within three years because you're going to still have many jerseys with his name on the back. Like, I, sure. I don't think that math squares for me. Like, you're going to feel some pain. We all know that. It's idiotic to assume that uh, people are going to pay for a bad product, but they're sure going to come back and pay for a good product, and that's why you go through the pain. Now, about the ownership thing, though, dude, like I've got all the respect in the world for the money that owners put out. I'm not one of these people that looks at the Lombardi Trophy and laments the idea that the owner is the first one to touch it. They're signing the checks. Like, who Mm -hmm. cares? I get it. That said, if one of the checks you signed was to bring in Jim Rutherford, who has – three Stanley Cups in two different cities to his credit. Get out of the way. Get out of the way and let Jimmy cook. I don't care if you think you're Jerry Jones. You're not. Let the guy you hired run the team. The guy you hired I don't think wanted to sign JT Miller, but he's here, and he's here for a long time. Yeah. And the other thing about the Canucks and, and, and trying to rebuild, by the way, is what does a rebuild look like? for Vancouver, given the age of their core, you're certainly not going to trade Quinn Hughes. You're certainly not going to trade Patterson. You can't mm-hmm. really rebuild when your goalie is that good. I mean, look what, look what Chicago and, and Arizona have tried to do with their goaltending. Neither of them have a, anybody with, within an, a mile of Thatcher Demko. So what does a rebuild even
1: look like for yep. Vancouver? I think it's everything that complements Hughes, Patterson, Demko, Horvat. Right, if you complement that timeline, you're in if not you're out. I really think it's that right. simple
0: right exactly to the to the, but, to, the to, re- to
1: the point about to, hang on, to the to the to the to the point about pain though like there there is the old saying, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die yeah, yeah. right it's it's tough to make that decision it's hard to make that decision, but the thing is I don't think Vancouver needs to make that dis- I, I think Vancouver has to has to take this thing down to the nuts and bolts. I really don't. Like, for all those players that we just named, there's your, tam- yeah. there's your timeline right there. There's your timeline.
0: Yeah, I don't think you can. I think you've built this team around a, a good young core. The problem is, is that it's not been good. And the other problem is is that maybe what you need to do is, is s- slice splice the atom. You know, maybe you keep Hughes and Pedersen and Demko... And you trade Besser and Horvat, like maybe that's what you end up doing. The again, the the idea that that this team wasn't working, and we all knew it wasn't working. We a lot of us weren't completely fooled by the the bubble run, and then they doubled down on on a mm. core that wasn't working. Is just it's insanity, and and so what they have to figure out is what other teams have had to figure out, which is that how much of this is really going to be here when when you need it and how much of this can be flipped to help the other parts of your team like oh i don't know an entire one side of your defense it's one of the worst things in in the nhl right now um versus you know doubling down and and re-signing some of your offensive players because i would have traded besser and i would have traded miller and i would have made the rest of my team better knowing that i have a really strong core without those guys
1: here's the thing though you still can Sure. You can still trade Miller. You can still trade Besser. Right. Like Miller's no trade doesn't kick in until next season.
0: Right. But now you've you settled him do with it. a giant anchor of a contract. <laughs> That's the problem.
1: <laughs> yeah. But you know what? You, the, I mean, uh, the thing, the thing uh, cause I've thought of a lot about that, I think a lot of us have too. Um, now you're trading him, and the team that gets him knows that he's locked in. Cost certainty. Like you have that. Cert- you have that cost. You have that cost certainty. And for some teams, that may not have been too thrilled about only essentially renting J T. Miller, but they wanted more. Now here's your opportunity. And Literally, the, team I, honestly, the only the team that I keep wondering the, the, the team that I keep wondering about J T. Miller is still the Islanders. That's still yeah, the one I that, I, that. that I that I wonder yeah.
0: about. Visited that and could revisit it. The only thing I think that works in their favor vis-a-vis having Miller and having signed up to that extension is the cap going up because, because obviously you're going to have some teams that could not even fathom uh, fitting that uh, cap hit under their cap. If things hadn't progressed a little bit quicker. Um, Although Merrick, I do wonder how fast they will progress given that we are entering a recession and you're already starting to see some people tighten the belts when it comes to, into entertainment expenditure spending. wonder wonder where those revenues are really are yep. going to be headed in the next year.
1: Don't know. Don't know what the... Uh, it's interesting. Because I think we all raised our eyebrows when we heard the Gary Bettman talking uh, at the Board of Governors about the salary cap, maybe bumping up significantly this off season, and you know everyone went, "No, ooh, catnip for everybody." Okay, this is great. This is awesome. <laughs> to your point, I don't know where that's coming from, but I think we all cross our fingers and hope that it does happen. Uh, we are heavy against it. Always good wish. Uh, great stuff on Kessel, man. Like really, really good stuff. That was, I mean, you're always a really creative writer, and you know, you think in very different ways. But the way that you handled Kessel, I thought was excellent. Uh, please wish Arto Ocal my best and continued success with the drop, bud.
0: Thank you so much, man. And uh, yeah, if you, if you haven't gotten a chance, the Kessel piece is still on the ESPN uh, page and you can check out uh, the words of wisdom, including from Daniel Negrano, who, of course, uh, is a pro poker player who has played many games against uh, Phil.
1: And is one of my, I love that guy.
0: He's a, just a great dude. He's so good. And
1: yeah. <laughs> he, he's, he's awesome and really outspoken. I, I got all the time for, uh, for Negranu. All right. Uh, hitting a break. That's it. Wish, uh, we'll talk to you in seven days, pal.
0: You got it, bud. Thanks.
1: There he is, Greg Wachinski from ESPN, uh, along with Arto Ocal. Check out the drop on the ESPN YouTube feed.